You're listening to Salmon Farming Inside and Out, a podcast series brought to you by Aquaculture North America. This podcast is sponsored by Merck Animal Health. Together, we can ensure welfare and sustainability for aquatic species. Welcome to another edition of Salmon Farming Inside and Out. I'm Marilyn de Guzman. And I'm Ian Roberts. It's great to be back with you, Marilyn. After talking to uh, some very interesting individuals over the last couple of episodes, and, and today is, is very interesting, uh, talking to the younger generation. Um, so this is, this is going to be great. I think we always start off with a trivia question, don't we, Marilyn, that we'll answer at the end of the episode. So why don't we start with that? The trivia question for today is, the scientific name for salmon is Salmo Salar. Salmo is a Latin word, which means what? We'll see if our guest today will know the answer. So far, so good, Ian. We've had two for two for our trivia question. So why don't you introduce our, our guest today? Today's guest is uh, James Sibley. And uh, James is just 23, jealous. Uh, he's from the Boston area. And uh, he just graduated from Northeastern University with a degree in genetic biology. Uh, in 2021, just a couple of years ago, he began a TikTok channel educating consumers about common New England seafoods. And with the success of that channel, uh, it's grown uh, and directed his awareness and education efforts into aquaculture. And to date, James's channel has a overwhelming, well over 400,000 followers and more than 222 million views, uh, marking him as one of the largest aquaculture creators online. Uh, Finally, his scientific background and enthusiasm for anything farmed underwater highlights a new facet for the industry to explore in the digital age. So, James, welcome to our program. Ian, Marilyn, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for the introduction. And I'm wicked excited to be on the podcast as a Bostonian. That's uh, that's great. You're probably the first guest that used the word wicked. So I think we've already shown your age. Um, Very good. James, you're, uh, you have an interesting background, and we had spoken previously, uh, you and I, and, and I'd like you to, before the TikTok era, kind of introduce me to how you got involved in seafood. Obviously, you're in school, and understand there was some work in retail, and then on the docks in Boston, which I quite uh, find fascinating. Can you uh, tell us a bit about that? Like most of us in seafood, it was not a linear um, <laughs> jump into the industry here, so I grew up in a farm town right outside of Boston, nothing like Boston. So literally nothing but farms. So that's what I did in the summers. I worked the farms, which was a lot of fun. Um, it's that kind of physical labor that has a lot of fruits at the end of the day, uh, literally <laughs> sometimes. And it was obviously a summer job. So in the winters, I would be focused in school. However, when COVID struck and the pandemic hit me in the middle of my degree, it was my second year in college, I was sent home in the middle of the winter with no school and no job. I And I'm not somebody who can sit around and kind of do nothing. So I needed to jump back into the food industry. That's where I've always felt at home. That's one of the main main reasons I've joined like a biology degree here at Northeastern University was to join the food industry. And I'd never had a proper introduction to the seafood industry. You know, um, fruits and vegetables is a bit of a different sector there. However, it was pretty much all that I could do in the middle of the winter in New England. So that's what I did. I picked up a job at Whole Foods, uh, working as a seafood team member, uh, night shifts, just kind of after my online classes were over, just kind of getting my hands dirty and getting a feel for this new side of the food industry that I had no experience in. Um, and immediately I just fell in love with seafood. And that was the rabbit hole that <laughs> drew me in, uh, was working the counters there at Whole Foods. That's where 
I started my channel, but that didn't happen for a few months until I'd really started to pick up a feel for all of the complexities and issues that the seafood industry faces, both from a consumer standpoint and on the more uh, kind of like industrial and uh, tra uh, transportation sides of things. It was just incredibly complicated and I, I loved it. So is that then a, a conscious effort on your side when you decided you love this um, and you want to connect with people of your age and, and send the message? Like, is that sort of the, the driving factor for establishing this uh, social media presence? Up until this point, I'd never thought of myself as a social media guy. It's not actually, I don't use it a lot. I didn't make any sort of social media stuff before then, but I kept getting these questions over and over and over at the seafood counter from, um, from customers coming up asking, is this farm raised? Is this wild caught? What does that mean? Are those oysters alive? Why are they alive? Not only questions that I found really interesting, but I kept getting them every day or sometimes multiple times a day, which meant that clearly people just didn't understand this from a, a consumer side. And that's, it's a really important thing to understand what your food is, where it comes from and what matters, what's important about the food that you're buying. A lot of people understand this when it comes to produce or uh, lands, terrestrial meats, but seafood, it's, it's foreign to um, most consumers, at least <laughs> um, here right outside of Boston. So I just started making videos on it. I would one day, five people asked me why I'm tapping oysters together before I put them in a bag. And I just decided, you know what, I'm just, I'm going to record this and put it online. And I got a quarter million views in a day, which at the time was incredible. I was, I opened my phone at, my end of, at the end of my shift and was like, oh my goodness, um, this is crazy. This is more attention than I've ever received for anything ever. <laughs> and it was oysters. So that's where it all began was just the simple questions that all, all consumers have. Were you working on the seafood counter at that, or is it the kind of the meats department? Depends on the Whole Foods, right? But this one I was at, the seafood counter was completely separate from the meats. You know, the, the sustainability questions, the where does the food come from questions, is that specific to seafood? Do, do people go to the steak and the pork and, and ask those same questions about those foods? Or, or is seafood, both fisheries and aquaculture, just still new to people that they, they have these questions? Why do you think, uh, first of all, is it a sustainability, sustainability focus around seafood or is it meats in general or food in general? Back to your apples. So when it comes to grocers, at least here in the States, my experience, the only wild caught food left is seafood. You, you don't go up to the counter at the, the butcher and buy game. doesn't happen. So it does make a little sense that people worry about sustainability when it comes to wild caught anything that just happens to be seafood right now. However, the focus is 100% on seafood. We have the spotlight in this industry um, when it comes to any and everything sustainability. Um, at the meat counter, nobody was asking about how the ranches and the raising this livestock was affecting the environment or the CO2 emissions that come from that. These are all questions that I was getting at the fish counter. And at the time, I didn't have great answers for it because I was very new to this. But mainly when it came to meats, people were concerned with, is this grass-fed or organic or GMO? Some of those questions translate to seafood, but by and large, seafood hits uh, like 95% of the um, sustainability and ecological attention. Once you've decided, you know, this is sort of a, a niche thing that you're doing, you know, based on the feedback that you're getting, um, when you're creating this con the, all these content in your, um, in your TikTok and your social media, like what kind of research goes into all the content that you're producing? 
Ian, I know that you have a degree in aquaculture and I, I met some people in the past few weeks who have degrees in aquaculture. I do not, right? I have a biology degree with a focus on genetics. It's, there is overlap here with fish and shellfish and mollusks, but it's not hundred percent. So I've had to do a lot of independent research here. And that's why when I started out, I was keeping it very simple because I kind of educated the public as I learned myself. So I spent a lot of nights and weekends and doing all this independent research, which was a lot of fun. It's a, as I'm sure you guys know, seafood is such a rabbit hole. You can just read about stuff online until 3am. And that's what I was doing. So I, I started off easy. Like what, why is coho different than Atlantic salmon, like basic uh, introductory seafood stuff. And then as I progressed and moved on from whole foods into the large seafood distribution center in seaport, Boston, I really started to ramp up what I was talking about as I built more confidence and built my network and started to really understand some of these issues. And that's when I made the leap to aquaculture because I saw firsthand just how detrimental the wild fisheries can be right now, not just to the environment, but to the fishermen and the coastal communities and how aquaculture really does offer like this solution if we can embrace it correctly. I don't imagine there's too many TikTok influencers with 400,000 plus followers that have a genetics and bio uh, biology degree. I'm not a TikToker, but I, I think it's mostly dancing, isn't it? So, <laughs> so when it comes to seafood education, you know, what has kind of grasped people? Why have 400,000 people followed to learn about seafood? And I can see from your channel, it's very engaging. I mean, you have a lot of dialogue back and forth. Um, I find it fascinating. So what, what's, what's the style that seems to resonate with people, James? Yeah, so especially when I started out a couple of years ago, there wasn't a lot of scientific discussions going on or like socio-political discussions on TikTok. It was a lot of just dancing around. Flossing, <laughs> um, wasn't it? Flossing which or something? I, that was not the point. I don't know. I didn't do any of that stuff. That was a, like the number one question I got from like friends and family at the time. I was like, why are you doing this on TikTok? I'm like, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's easy. It's a, what I have on my phone. Like that was, that was it. It was just the right place, right time for that app for me. But luckily in the past, especially in the past year, that's that narrative has been shifting. Um, they've been, the company has been doing a lot to push STEM, to push longer form videos, kind of like YouTube and bringing creators like myself to the forefront of TikTok in whatever niche we have. So yeah, there's not a lot of genetics <laughs> discussions like, like I kind of do here and there because genetics is a large portion to aquaculture. But what I found has resonated with my community and what, what really helped me grow was it wasn't just me lecturing, talking at a whiteboard, you can say whatever you want. If you're talking to a wall, nobody cares. It took me a while to build out how I had these discussions, how I roped in my generation, because I wouldn't watch somebody lecture about the specifics of tilapia farming and the other side of the planet for half an hour if there was no engaging part to it. So I had to learn how to do digital technologies well, how to edit videos to down to the frame, um, as well as build in ethos. So I try when I'm not making like a silly video, which I do sometimes, but when I'm doing a real structured video, I want there to be a story behind the science. I want people to walk away having watched it because they were intrigued, but having then learned something. Um, and that's what has helped me grow my channel is there's that authenticity to it that I bring, which is I've learned this and I've been educating myself on this. And I think this is really fascinating. Would you like to learn? Um, and the people who follow my channel are those people who are interested in seafood. They're largely my age, a little older sometimes, but it is this kind of late generation Z that has really been captivated by this foreign concept of seafood and aquaculture. So that 
kind of highlights what has worked well for you. So let me challenge you then. What what hasn't worked well in that communication? Where have you maybe tripped up and learned a bit? And uh, especially talking to new entrepreneurs or even people in the seafood business now that would be interested in entering into TikTok or other social media, just it would be a good lesson for them to learn from you. It has been a two-year, and it will continue to be for as many years as I do, this trial and error process. I've been learning as I go. There isn't like a set all way to do it. And no longer can you just throw money at it until it works. Um, that was never an approach that I would or could take. But you know, Coca-Cola would probably do that on Instagram five years ago. If that doesn't work anymore, there needs to be a reason, a compelling reason for people to watch what you're putting in front of them. Because the world is saturated with ads right now. It's all about user-generated content. So that's essentially what I try to do with most of my videos. Now, I, I've learned to recover from mistakes is every second in your video is analyzed by somebody. So if you slip up, you need to start everything over. If you have a couple keyframes in a two minute video, somebody's going to find that. And then there's what's called duetting and stitching where they pull out that snippet and throw whatever context they want on, whether or not that has anything to do with what you were talking about. You have to be very cautious. It's called a digital footprint, right? Um, for a reason, because people can take whatever you say and augment it however they want. So you need to be aware of that and try to make sure that all of the information is as concise and accurate as could possibly be. It's difficult because many of the discussions I'm having, you can either have a lot of breadth or a lot of depth. It's hard to have both in a minute and a half, two minutes. So that's been a balance that I've been fighting forever. And I'm still, I still don't have it down. It really depends on the topic of discussion. With four, over 400,000 followers, obviously, you know, not all of them are fans, basically. So what has been, you know, some of the weird comments that you've got or, uh, you know, interesting questions you've got from your followers? So if you were to go to my channel right now, you would see that I'll start off a little bit of a tangent here, but I'll, I'll come back. You would see that probably 80% of my videos do not have 400,000 views. Um, that's because the way TikTok works is Every once in a while, you have a video that goes what they call like viral or whatever you want to call it, but it has millions and millions of eyes on it. That's how you grow your channel. And then the people who see that and say, that's interesting, they subscribe to it. And then they'll be fed similar videos to the one that they saw that was viral. Not everything you see. It's only a small portion of those followers who are really dedicated fans, right? So it's maybe 10 or 15% of them will have notifications on for when you post so that they go see it immediately, that kind of stuff. So follower count and, and that kind of stuff, it's less important than engagement. So how is it being received? And sometimes my stuff is received in very peculiar ways. So uh, a year ago, I made a video on blood clams. It, it's a really interesting visual because people don't assume clams to have uh, red hemoglobin like we do. So when you open the clams up, it's, it's a sight to behold. And for some reason, everyone just was flooding my comments with clams, just saying clams over thousands of times destroying any conversations that were to be had about blood clams, which I thought was a really interesting little niche in seafood that you don't see much in the States. Um, <laughs> just one of those internet phenomena where they took it and ran with it. People would see that other people were saying it. And it, and this went on for not just a clam video, but like 10 or 15 videos following that. So for a month, all of my comments were just clam, um, which made it a, a bit difficult for me because I, there was no, there was no back and forth that I could have with my audience there. Um, even though I guess that was kind of like a satirical, back and forth. Um, that was definitely one of like the funnier sides to things. Anybody who's doing like science and education on social media, you run into, and I'm sure you've seen this if you look at my channel, the loudest voices are often the angriest. And what I find is very interesting with that is 
if you go into any of my like videos that are relatively popular to very popular, there's a lot of misinformation in those comments. And I leave that intentionally. I have the authority as the creator to delete anything I want, but that's not how scientific discourse works. It's not how the internet was meant to be. It's supposed to be a discussion. So unless it's truly vile or dangerous, I, I leave things um, for the community to see. And what's interesting is with that naturally comes discourse amongst my community. If I, if I don't get involved, often people will stand up for what is right, um, which has been an interesting evolution. So if you go into my videos, there's somebody claiming that you know salmon farming is awful for the world. And then you have five other people who will jump in and be like, no, no, no. Um, let's back up and review exactly what you said and where maybe those misconceptions came from. Um, so it's a really interesting thing to watch kind of from a distance there. So James, you're from the Boston area. You worked in retail and you worked on the docks and have seen much different seafoods, both wild and farm raised and salmon farming, as far as I know, isn't, uh, isn't a big, uh, big thing around the Boston area. Um, so at some point you got introduced into salmon farming and being, this is the salmon farming inside now podcast. <laughs> I want to now talk about salmon. Uh, in recent weeks, you've paid a little more attention to the salmon aquaculture files. So first of all, wanted to know how you entered into this because early on you said you were, you know, simple things like talking about the different species of salmon and now you're a little more focused. So how has that, uh, um, kind of become a thing for you and what's been your experience in the last few weeks because uh, as listeners are listening to this we're recording this kind of early May and you've had a string of, of salmon farming videos in, in early May that uh, are, are quite popular and quite engaging let's say that so so tell me about this experience James. I'm more engaged with salmon farming now than ever but ever since I first stepped into aquaculture of course salmon farming is one of the first things that came up, especially with doing my own independent online research. Now, as I, as I kind of figured out working on the docks and in a distribution center, <clears throat> learning the ropes there, that's where I found that aquaculture was really my calling. It, while I appreciate and respect wild fisheries and their importance globally, I think that aquaculture will continue to be the growing side of seafood. So that's, that's what draws me in there is this is where the expansion and the innovation lies especially when you really dive into things. So if you, like I was, if you start researching aquaculture, some of the first things that come up are the crazy headliners with different kinds of salmon farms, whether it be inshores, the offshore farm, the, right? The ocean farm one, that's a pretty incredible pilot out there. Uh, RAS that's going, we have in the US, um, down in Florida, we have a massive RAS with salmon. These things are popping up all over the world. These, there's the hog egg, that's a really interesting one. So I, I keep reading about these innovations and I'm like, wow, salmon is, it is the future of, of seafood here. Like everybody is trying to figure this out. How can they make it better with these crazy technologies that are, that are sustainable and just totally out of the box thinking. Um, and they're applying it. It's, it's, it's actually happening. So that's, what's really drawn me in with salmon is this is where all of the best innovators and the most intense scientists are. A lot of the people I speak with on LinkedIn a lot are professors over in the UK and Norway who are doing either genetic work or infrastructural work with, with salmon farms over there. And it's, it's incredible. You know, we don't have this in Boston, so it's all from a distance um, up until recently, of course. So the more I look into it, the more excited I get about salmon farming. So the, the obvious next question is, how has the dialogue changed when you talk about salmon farming online? And mm -hmm. 
you know, admittedly, I've been a salmon farmer for 30 years. I probably live in a box, a bit of a bubble. Um, and it seems like, uh, you know, people like to beat on salmon aquaculture, but maybe we're not special. Can you tell me we're not special, James? Or, uh, or is the dialogue different when it comes to salmon uh, or salmon farming? So you guys are special. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest. And that's a good thing. <laughs> Come on. I would call that growing pains. Um, you know, it's with, with incredible success and innovation comes skepticism and anger. And salmon aquaculture has its fair share of that. In my opinion, it's because of the scale, the realism of it, because there are salmon farms in the coasts of many communities. So it, it is a real thing for a lot of people. While shrimp farming, for instance, which is the number one seafood in the U.S., farm shrimp, um, it's not really relevant. It's, it's otherworldly because it's being done on the other side of the planet for the most part. Um, so it's not in our face while salmon coming in from anywhere over in Scandinavia or just north of us in Canada or south down in Chile, that does feel more relevant, especially if you're in those countries. Canada, you, you guys have been facing a lot of political backlash there with salmon farming. And it all circles back to how foreign seafood is for a lot of people. You know, it's food in general has become disconnected from the consumer um, as things have industrialized and seafood is no different than that. However, it, it always already foreign for people who don't go out on the docks or on the boats themselves. So moving this to farms is, it doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people. There's too many nuances and it's too easy to just roll with the one sentence punchline that it's bad, as opposed to spending some time reading about why it's actually better. Right. So I, th I believe that that's where a lot of the harm comes from especially like online stuff spreads like wildfire when it, it's catchy and it's fear-mongering right it's it wouldn't there's no fishmongers without fear-mongers so. <laughs> so i want to ask you for the salmon producers or the the aquaculture industry who's really uh, are the bulk of our listeners when communicating because your generation or the millennials gen z um you know you're sort of coming up as this new breed of consumers what are your insights on how they can effectively communicate their story to the Gen Z population or the, the younger generations? So I was at Sina about a month ago, two months ago, let's say, at the Seafood Expo in North America. Fantastic conference. I had a lot of fun there, but most people had no idea, no interest in what I was there to do, which was promote my social media. I'm a seafood and aquaculture social media personality, and a lot of people had no idea what that even was. Um, especially when you brought up TikTok, because that's just, that's so Generation Z, it like doesn't process for a lot of seafood companies. And that's the problem. My generation, me, me and all my peers and my friends, and we don't really look at or watch TV or news. Maybe we'll see a headline, but I don't read any news outlets or email newsletters, that kind of stuff. I am on social media and that's where not only do I get all my information, that's where I trust information from. Not just broadly. I don't go on Facebook and say, oh, that's a great meme. I'm going to run with that. It's <clears throat> You can find people on there, like I would say myself, as a science educator or who is knowledgeable in a niche. And that's who you trust when it comes to whatever topic of interest you, you're, you're researching. And it's, it's becoming more than just a media platform, right? TikTok is now a search engine. And it's actually, my generation uses TikTok more than Google for researching problems and like generating new ideas, thoughts, and opinions. And some, some industries are running with this. Um, cosmetics, for instance, is, as you've probably seen, 
user-generated content using creators and influencers, that's their business strategy now across the board. Seafood, it's not at all. So I'm hoping that that changes because that's how aquaculture specifically will reach my generation, even millennials and the upcoming generation alpha, right? They, they're more online than I am. And I spend most of my time staring at a screen thanks to school. <laughs> so, you know, it, it might seem scary to just put faith and money and time into like a creator, but that really is how the industry is going to capture the attention and start to bring back this highly politicized issue um, and bring back aquaculture as a solution and not the problem. I'm just thinking how I funded my first dib into aquaculture when I was uh, raising tropical fish. I funded that through my paper route, delivering newspapers. So you're making me feel real, <laughs> real old, James. That's <laughs> probably, do you even know what a paper boy is, man? <laughs> the movies. Well, I think it's partly your fault because you guys, even though we try, our generation tried to be there. You know, my kids, I don't know about you, Ian, my kids, I bring up TikTok. They're like, mom, you better not be on TikTok. So, you know, I tried. <laughs> they don't want us to be there. Ignore them. You should do it. I think it'd be great. No, it's too late. I'm just going <laughs> to scroll through and watch others do that. <laughs> so, James, th thanks very much for your insight. Uh, your your history is fascinating. You know, your success on TikTok and communicating. I think there's a lot to learn there. So, you, congratulations, by the way, have just, I think, last week graduated with your degree. So uh, I assume you'll be out there uh, pounding doors looking for work. Where might we see you in the future? What What is your ultimate interest? Uh, is it aquaculture? Is it salmon? Is it is what what is it? Uh, is it TikTok forever? It's a great question. Um, and it's what everybody asks me right now. So I'm, I'm still in a few courses right now at school. It's just helping me prepare for my master's, this post-graduation work, um, which I will be pursuing in a few years. So I'm actually looking for work right now. Um, just, just beginning this process. Um, not for a few months though. I'm going to take a little bit of time off here and recoup from the last 23 years as well as go visit Asia actually, which is going to be great. But I've been speaking with a few biotechs that are involved in aquaculture as well as actual aquaculture companies themselves. I really just want to explore. My interest is the crossover of innovative aquaculture with the biotechnologies, which is thankfully becoming more and more of a of a little micro niche industry within an industry, um, albeit still very small, but <clears throat> there's a lot of application for applying the biosciences in aquaculture that are starting to be utilized in industry. So that is where my focus is. That's where my expertise crosses over with my passion. And hopefully it gets me out of the Boston area. I've been here for 23 years and I'd like to see what's out there. You know, it's for better or for worse. I want to spend the next few years really honing my interests wherever that might be, doing whatever that might be. So if if this aquaculture biotech crossover is not what I think it will be, then great. Then I'm going to return to my master's and, and hone that with an altered perception. But aquaculture is, I believe, my future. I don't have any doubts about that. It's been too long of me doing this for it to be just a, an interest or a hobby or a phase. Um, and I'm going to continue with TikTok because actually my best source of income right now, but it's also an interesting way to communicate with people. So science communication is, is not at this stage yet. It, most science communication comes from journals, which are only now be starting to become open source. It's usually behind a paywall and very, very difficult to publish. And it's, it's starting to become easier. So I think that this is the next step in that. I might be ahead of the curve on that. 
or I might, there might not be a curve coming with, with that direction of it. But I'm hoping that it does, because this is really how you get the public aware of stuff in a layperson's term um, that they want to interpret, they want to understand, and then they'll be part of it, right? It won't be a fight. It'll be a community. Before we get to uh, uh, Marilyn's trivia question, um, I'll ask you, how can our listeners uh, get in touch with you or, or see your content? Uh, is it just TikTok? Is there other platforms as well? Yeah. So I'm on like most of the social medias, but when it comes to aquaculture and kind of my like persona as a creator and bioscientist, that's really on TikTok and LinkedIn. So my name is James Sibley. I'm, I'm sure you'll see it in the, the byline here, but on TikTok, it's just James underscore Sibley. On LinkedIn, it's James Sibley as well. You'll see me there in the big neon kind of aquatic jumpsuit. And those are both perfectly good ways to get in touch with me. I, I respond on both platforms. Uh, my email as well, if you want, is james.sibley.business at gmail.com. That's my personal I use for TikTok uh, business inquiries. And that's a great way to get in touch with me. Great. And before we let you go, James, uh, with the if you want to try and answer our trivia question. So again, the question is, the scientific name for salmon is Salmo Salar. Salmo is a Latin word, which means what? I, I knew this at one. I've made a TikTok on this. And I remember in that TikTok editing, <laughs> salmon, editing salmon jumping into the overlay. Is it? Does it have to do with salmon jumping? Yes. That, you are that's, brilliant, man. Yeah. Absolutely yeah, that's brilliant. great. Yeah. So it means- to- I can send you that video. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and disclaimer, I haven't seen that video, so it wasn't a softball for you. It means to leap. It's an appropriate name as they jump up the river, swimming against strong currents to travel to their spawning ground. Thanks James, again, it was wonderful James. to speak with you. Great to speak with you, Ian and Marilyn. We'll be interested to see where you end up, hopefully in the sector. So good luck to you. Well, thank you so much. I, I hope to talk to you guys soon. This was a lot of fun, and uh, I'm excited to see where... Salmon Farming Inside and Out goes. Maybe I'll put some snippets here on my TikTok. It'll be fun. You've been listening to Salmon Farming Inside and Out, brought to you by Aquaculture North America. If you have a comment on today's episode or would like to suggest a topic for a future episode, connect with Aquaculture North America on Twitter or through our LinkedIn and Facebook pages. This podcast is sponsored by Merck Animal Health. Together, we can ensure welfare and sustainability for aquatic species.